This morning our call to worship is from Psalm 100. Listen to what the psalmist says and listen to how the psalmist tells us to worship. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness and come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and bless His name. Psalmist says we're to come with gladness. We're to come with thanksgiving. We're to come with singing. Would you stand together and let's join our voices together in singing hymn number 465. Your hymnal is printed here in your bulletin. Marvelous Grace of Our Loving Lord.
come to a time this morning when we confess our faith together. You may be wondering why we recite the Apostles' Creed or some creed, the Belgic Creed or the Nicene Creed, sometimes week after week after week. Well, it's a summary of Christian teaching. We don't know exactly when it was written, but we know it was a summary of what the Apostles taught, and it's biblical. And it reminds us each and every week what we really believe the Bible teaches, what the Christian faith is about. So this morning, as we join our voices together, would you join with me as we read together this confession of faith, the Apostles' Creed? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Um, let's stand together and let's sing this wonderful hymn written by the Gettys, In Christ Alone Is My Hope.
please be seated? The great hymn of the faith and truth and the Gettys writing such wonderful Christian music for us to celebrate with. I want to invite you to join with me in prayer and take just a moment, if you would, just in silence and preparing your heart as we come before the Lord. Then I'd like for us to pray together the prayer that the Lord Jesus Christ taught his disciples to pray. Then I'd like to lead us in a pastoral prayer. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. join me as we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, we bow in your presence as your children, thanking you that we have the privilege and the joy to come before a holy God who tells us to come, who tells us to seek and to ask and to knock, who tells us in his word, he will show us great and mighty things which we do not Lord, we're amazed. But our hearts come today, Father, and they're sad in some ways because we've seen what's happening throughout our world. We've seen a country of Ukraine that's been invaded. And I pray, Father, for the church there this morning. Lord, put your protection upon them. Thank you for their true faith. We ask, Father, that there would be an end to this war and it would come quickly. Father, this morning we were reminded in Sunday school of the, what you're doing in Afghanistan. Many of the refugees coming here to the United States, Clarkston, Georgia, and for Jonathan and Becca's ministry there. Lord, thank you that we can be an extended arm to give the gospel in some very materialistic ways to those who have need. We pray for them, Lord, that you would encourage them. And Father, there are those even within our congregation who need prayer. We think of Doug Hesse and we ask, Father, your healing hand upon him as he goes to the oncologist for more tests. We pray, Father, for the puppy family and the loss of Russell's brother. Would you give comfort? We pray, Father, for Christine Ellison, healing from that surgery. We pray, Father, for Jerry Hill as he recovers from surgery. Carolyn Stryker in her arm. We pray, Father, for Mel and Lynn Bunsen, their son, Ross. There's diagnosis of treatments and still treatments from doctors. For Harold Soule, 
longtime member of this congregation who's now in hospice. Lord, we pray for him and his wife, Marilyn. We pray, Father, for the Burmisters, their grandson, Benjamin. We pray, Father, for Susan Atkins. We pray, Father, for Margie Shepherd. Lord, thank you for she and Jerry and their ministry here for many, many years. Would you relieve her of the pain? Scott Patterson, as he recovers from surgery, Abby, Abby Craig. Lord, that's just a few. You know. You know them all. But we thank you that you are a good God to us. And Lord, we come today to thank you and bless you and to worship you in spirit and truth that you get the glory and you get the praise. Thank you as we bring our offerings to you for your kingdom's sake. In the name of Jesus we pray, Father. Amen.
stand together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. must say it is a, a great joy to be back with you again today. When uh, Pastor Birch called me a couple of weeks ago and said, would you be available to come? I said, absolutely. It's like coming home to homecoming, you know. And so uh, we've had many, many years here and it's great to see some very familiar faces. It's great to see and meet some new faces as well. Let's see how God is blessing. I want to invite your attention to text of scripture this morning from the Gospel of Luke. We're going to talk about Jesus this morning. In the 10th chapter, the 25th verse, and verse 37. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. I may read a little different than your Bible translation. That's okay. We believe the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. And listen to what God says from Luke chapter 10 and verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. And so Jesus, so likewise a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds and pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an end and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? 
And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes and our hearts to your word. Lord, um, your word is powerful. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. It can cut and pierce deeply to the very marrow of our bone. And we ask, Father, that you would give us spiritual ears to understand what you want to say. And that, Father, we have hearts that are warmed by the gospel. That we would leave this place loving you more, loving our neighbor more, more committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we don't do that for anything about ourselves. We do that only for your glory and your praise. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like for you to imagine for just a moment that Jesus came back into the flesh. He came to your door this afternoon, and he knocked on the door and came in, and you let him in, and you could ask him one question. What would you ask him? Maybe you'd say, why am I here? Well, what about this war that's happening over in Ukraine, Jesus? You know about that? What about uh, the path of life? What should, I, should I retire? Should I keep working? Should I start another business? What, what about my financial situation? Those are all temporary questions. The question that the lawyer asked Jesus was an eternal question. Notice in verse 25. He asked him this question. What do I do to inherit eternal life? Now, before we go any farther in the text, let me give you a little bit of a background. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus has called 12 to be his disciples. Now, the word disciple means one who's been taught, learned. And he's training them. Then we get to chapter 10, and he selects 72 others who are missionaries to go out with the gospel, and they go out, and they have outstanding results. It's incredible what God is doing. They have a meeting to come back and to report to Jesus in verse 17. They said, wow, the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and and, and all sorts of things. Jesus said, don't rejoice that there's power given to you. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Now notice what he says in verse 21. In that hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. Luke is the only gospel writer that tells us that. That Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. And here we have Jesus rejoicing in the Holy Spirit. And he's going to pray to the Father in the very same verse. So we have the Trinity in one verse. 
And he says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from, notice, wise and understanding. People who theologically think they've got it all together like the Pharisees would have built. People who who are schooled in Old Testament theology, like the Pharisees and this lawyer we're going to meet in a minute. But you've hidden them to them. You've hidden them. They don't get it spiritually. But you've revealed it to little children. The people that are most likely not to get it. Now I'm going to lay something theologically really hard on you, okay? So buckle your seatbelt. If you have questions, you can ask Pastor Birch next week. You don't understand anything about the gospel until the Holy Spirit begins to work in your heart and bring you from a position of being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. What? That's hard. That's biblical. At about that time, notice what happens. A lawyer stands up to test Jesus. Now, when we think of lawyers, we think of people civil law. We think of real estate law. We think of people that defend criminals. No, a lawyer in that day was someone who interpreted and translated the Old Testament law and taught the Old Testament law. This man is an Old Testament professor in a seminary. He knows the law. And notice what his motive is. He came to test Jesus in verse 25 interesting word that Luke uses here for the word test because it's the idea of testing a metal to see its purity. It's the idea of finding out is the minerals in that really true truth? And notice he comes and he says, I've got a motive, Jesus. Here's my motive. I'm going to question you on your theology. Can you imagine testing Jesus in the theology? How arrogant could he be? And notice he says, teacher, what shall I do? Not what shall I believe. What shall I do? I want to work. I want to do something to inherit eternal life. You know what Jesus does? He turns the tables on him. He says, what does your law say you should do? Oh, he knew the answer to that. He's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 5, Leviticus chapter 19, because he knew these two verses from the Old Testament. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength, and Leviticus, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the, that's, those are two verses that the Jews would always put in the phylacteries that they held around their wrists and on the fords, so they would pull those out and they would read those verses over and over, nothing new to him. And he quotes them back to Jesus, and Jesus said, go do it, and you'll live. It's easy to recite it. It's a whole other thing to do it. Nobody's ever loved the Lord God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, never thought anything wicked, evil of anyone else, and loved their neighbor completely as their self. We've all fallen short of it. That's one of the purposes of the law. The law teaches us that we don't measure up to it. There was one who did. His name is Jesus. 
this week, uh, you know, we are just blessed to live where we live. Such beautiful golfing communities. I got to thinking about if I could uh, play golf and earn my way to heaven, what kind of score would I need to make? You're laughing. You, you haven't seen me play golf. <laughs> and I thought, well, maybe if I just do a little better than the person I'm playing with, maybe that'd be enough. No. And then I thought, maybe if I just shot par every time I went out, I'd, that'd be enough. No. Because par is average. The law isn't average. The law is perfection. You know what you'd have to do? You wouldn't shoot a 72. You'd shoot 18. You say, well, that's impossible. You got it. You're getting it. That's what the law does. It says we need somebody else named Jesus to come along and give his life for us and give us his righteousness. Let me tell you what. The scene changes in verse 29 because there's another question that, the, that this man who was a scribe, Pharisee, a lawyer, Ask Jesus. Now he wants to lower the bar. He's trying to justify himself. He says, I know I haven't loved the Lord God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. Well, let me give you another little test here. Jesus, let's talk about who's my neighbor. Uh, notice that he quoted Deuteronomy chapter 5 about loving the Lord God with all his heart, with all his soul, and all his mind. He don't want to go back to that because he knew he hadn't done that. What does he want to do? He wants to talk about Who's my neighbor? Now, in Jewish time, back in the days of Jesus, there was great debate about who was the neighbor. And the rabbis were teaching that your neighbor is a fellow Jew. Don't worry about anybody else. If they don't have Jewish blood within them, they're not your neighbor. That's what the rabbis were teaching. And notice what Jesus says. He tells them a parable. And by the way, I think this is, this is one of the most misunderstood texts of Scripture. And I'll tell you why in just a minute. So by now, a, a, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell, no, he fell among the robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed and leaving him half dead. Now, that trail, that road between Jericho and Jerusalem is 18 miles long. It drops an elevation some 3,100 feet in 18 miles. It is, it is a very rugged road with caves along the side of it. Some Jews referred to it as the bloody way. And so this man is going, notice, from Jerusalem down to Jericho. It is possible that he was a Jew. It is possible that he had been worshiping at the temple, although Luke doesn't tell us that. But the robbers, literally the Greek word here is surrounded him and left him half dead. Now, there are three people that come by. 
The first one, you would think, would be one that would give attention to him. He's a priest. He's well known in the community. It's a religious man. He knows the Old Testament law about taking care of your neighbor. What does he do? Luke tells us he saw him. And Luke uses a tense in the original languages means he just glanced and looked away. He didn't fix his attention on him whatsoever because he didn't want to be associated with him. The other is a Levite. He's the one who takes care of the affairs in the temple, takes care of the utensils, makes sure that, that, the, that the offerings are, are correct and makes sure that, that the, all things are in order. A godly man. What does he do? He walks by and Luke says, same tense, same verb. He just looks. Now you scratch your head and you say, no, wait a minute. That doesn't seem right, does it? Well, there may be excuses to why they didn't do it. Maybe what was going through their minds is that Old Testament verse, did not, if they touch a dead body as a Jew, you're, you're, you're defiled for the next seven days. Or maybe he looked at his watch and said, you know, I need to get home. I really don't have time. Or maybe he thought I'd be ceremonial, unclean. I'm not un unfit for the, for the temple. And then Jesus throws a curveball. The third guy. Samaritan. Now if you study the Old Testament, you know that the Samaritans and the Jews hated each other. Why? Well, because when the Jews were taken off into captivity and they were brought back, they intermarried with the Assyrians and they didn't have pure Jewish blood. And when they came back to the land, Samaria, they had their own land and they established their own place of worship in Mount Gerizim up north. The Jews had their place in Jerusalem, Mount Zion. And so the two exchanged warfare because on one occasion the Jews from Jerusalem went up and destroyed and burned the temple at Mount Gerizim. And the Samaritans came down and defiled the temple in Jerusalem at Mount Moriah. So you can see the hatred between them. And Jesus shocks this logger and says, it was a Samaritan who helped this man. That would have been shocking to a Jew. You wouldn't do that. That would not be your neighbor. And notice the cost that this Samaritan paid. He stopped, bandaged this man's wounds, poured oil and wine on his sores, put him on his donkey, took him to an inn, paid the fee for him to stay there, paid two denarii, which would be two days' worth of work. And then he said, I'm coming back, and if you need any additional money, I'll be glad to pay it. You know what he's saying here? Is that showing mercy is often costly. Oh, it is sacrificial but is well worth the sacrifice. Many years ago, I was a youth director at a large Presbyterian church in Baltimore, Maryland. We had a uh, youth staff, and we planned a 
ski retreat for our senior highs. We're going to take them up into Pennsylvania to the Pocono Mountains. And so the kids were all excited. We rented a bus from a sister church, had 38 kids signed up with a waiting list for more that wanted to get on the bus and just didn't have room for them. The day came for us to go. There was four inches of snow on the ground. It was still snowing. I thought, this is going to be perfect. This is great. Kids in the back of the bus singing 99 bottles of weir on a ball, 99 bottles. And off we go. And we're having a good time. We get to Pennsylvania, across the state line. We get to Pennsylvania, and we want to get onto the turnpike. Now, for those of you who are Southerners, the turnpike is a very nice interstate that you have to pay to get on. So I opened my wallet, and I pulled out some money, and I gave it to the teller. And as soon as she took the money, the bus driver looked at me, and we're in the, we're in the toll booth now. And he looked at me, and he said, the bus won't start. I said, start it. People behind us are lined up honking their horns saying ugly things to us. The teller is shouting out through the window, move the bus. He said, I can't, it won't do anything. And I'm thinking, Lord Jesus, if you ever want to come back, now is the time. And I started praying. And I said, Lord, if you want me to go to seminary, I'll go right now. <laughs> and I stood there and thought, now what do I do? And I said, uh, turn to the kids, I said, okay, everybody off the bus. Everybody get off the bus. Now these people weren't happy that were behind us. These people in the toll booth were not happy. The toddler was not happy. The bus driver was not happy. I was not happy. And this man pulls in front of around the around the toll booth, he backs his car up and uh, he opens his trunk and he gets out a chain, hooks it to the bumper of his car, hooks it to our bus and pulls it out, about five inches of snow now, and pulls it to the side. I have never seen this man in my life. No clue who he was. And he gets out of his car, and he says, where are y'all heading? We said, we're going to the Poconos Mountain for a ski retreat for our kids. He said, oh, I know exactly where you're going to be and where you're going to be staying. He said, let me see if I can help you. So he goes into his car. He gets out the floor mats of his car. He puts them down underneath the bus. And he takes a coat hanger out of his, the trunk of the car, and he opens it up, and he bends it. He goes in there, and he bypasses the solenoid switch. I don't even know what that is. And the car starts, the bus starts. I'm like, hallelujah, thank you, Lord. He says, now it's not going to keep running. you got to go to an auto parts store and you got to get a part. And he said, you got to find somebody to come put it in. We loaded the kids back on the bus. And let me tell you, you think those kids didn't learn a lesson that day? Loaded those kids back on the bus, packed it in, off we go. 99 bottles of beer in the world, 90 bottles of beer. I said to the bus driver, I said, hey, um, we need to go to the auto parts store. He said, no, I'll just park it on the hill and we'll jump start it if we have to. I said, I don't think that's a good idea. He said, oh, no, 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 it'll be fine, it'll be fine. So that night we drove, we bypassed the auto parts store. We go up to the retreat center. We're there. We're having a good time, a wonderful time that night. I got up the next morning and I look out my window 
And there's this man, stranger, again, car coming down the road. He'd driven an hour to get to our camp. And I got out and I said, what are you doing here? He said, I came to put the part on the bus for you. One of those life-changing moments. Sacrifice. You just heard this this morning in our Sunday school class, Jonathan and Becca. What they're doing with their ministry in Clarkson, Georgia. They understand exactly what we're talking about here. Two weeks ago, I was attending a funeral for a friend of mine that I dearly love this man. Known him for 41 years. I did an internship in the church where he was a ruling elder. He taught me so many things. And his son, who's now a ruling elder in another Presbyterian church, stood up and gave the eulogy for my friend's funeral. And he said something that really, really struck me. He said, my father always taught us a friend in need is a friend in need until I meet the need. A friend in need is still a friend in need until I meet the need. We at Lake Oconee are so blessed. When Jonathan says and Becca says, we need sewing machines. There are people here who could do that, not blink an eye. There are people doing acts of mercy this morning for us. Some of them are sitting in the nursery, so you can be here. Some of them in a few weeks will probably be building sheds out in the parking lot. It's shelter for people. The sheds of hope. And you say, well, I don't even know which end of the hammer to swing. Maybe you could cook them a meal so they could continue working. The deeds of mercy are all around us. Here Jesus is teaching the Samaritan. And notice, notice what he says here. Jesus asked him the question, which of the three do you think was the good neighbor? Did you notice what the lawyer called the, the Samaritan? He didn't call him a Samaritan, the one who had mercy. It wouldn't come from his lips being a Samaritan. What great opportunities we have, the Church of Jesus Christ, right here in this community, as well as Clarkston, Georgia, as well as around the world. I'm just so thrilled to hear what God is doing. Acts of mercy, and they're going to come more and more and more. Let me ask you something. Will you be part of it? Will you be part of it? Will you say, Lord, I can make a difference, even though it's just a small thing? Now, let me close and tell you something. I believe this is one of the most misunderstood passages of Scripture in all the Bible. 
Because if you're reading this and you're interpreting this and saying what Jesus is saying is all you have to do is be good to your neighbor, then you get a ticket to heaven. That's not at all what he's saying. Remember the original question was, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? That's the question. And he quoted him the law. And then he made it clear that he couldn't keep the law. Well, that's not the point of the parable. We have to recognize that what the Good Samaritan did for this half-dead traveler, Jesus Christ does for us. Dead in our trespasses and sins. Rescues us from this misery. Rescues us from death spiritually. To give us eternal life and doing what we couldn't do and help ourselves. You see, the relationship with Christ begins when you begin to understand how far you fall short to meet the requirements that God has set. See, our only hope for salvation is in the Savior. The Bible says that no one will be justified by the works of the law. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. 1 Peter 2, he says this, that he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And by his wounds you are healed. Hallelujah. That's a great deal, isn't it? I give him my sins. He gives me his righteousness. The person who understood that wrote the hymn that we're going to conclude with tonight, this afternoon, excuse me, Amazing Grace. It's written by a man by the name of John Newton. It's written about 1772. Newton was some 47 years old. He grew up in a very difficult family. His mother died when he was seven years old. His father remarried. He followed his father's father's steps to be a seaman off the African coast. They would travel for slaves to capture and to sell for profit in New England. He was a slave trader. One night they were on the ship and the ship had a hole in the bottom of it because of the the storm that was so tremendous. And it scared John Newton to death. And he literally cried out to God. And he said, oh God, be merciful to us. God was merciful. And for the next 11 hours, John Newton steered that ship to shore through that storm. And when he stepped on shore, he was a different man. The gospel had changed his life. He started taking courses in Greek and Hebrew, became an Anglican minister, pastored churches for years, wrote many, many hymns. But the one that you're probably most familiar with went something like this. Amazing works, how sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me? No. Amazing grace. Grace. God's unmerited favor to you. That saved what? A wretch. A wretch like me. 
I once was lost spiritually. Now I'm found. I was blind spiritually. It's like the lawyer. Now I see. Now I see. You may be here this morning and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and you're thinking your good works are going to be sufficient to get you to heaven. The Bible says, no, you won't keep the law. But I have some good news. John 1 verse 12 says this, But as many as receive them, receive them by faith, to them gave he the right to become children of God, to those who believe on his name. I trust this time that if you don't know Christ, that you'll receive him by faith just as John Newton did. Say, Lord, change my heart. I want to have this eternal life that the lawyer was seeking. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that you open the eyes of the blind spiritually. You do your work of grace. But I pray, Father, specifically for anyone here this morning who's never taken that step, who's thinking that their goodness, that they can just be better than the person down the street, that's okay. Lord, show us the fallacy of that. Show us the truth of the gospel, that Jesus Christ died for sinners. And it's only saved sinners that'll be in heaven. Thank you for providing the way, the truth, and the life for the good news of the gospel. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. We're going to stand together and we're going to sing a hymn that's very familiar to it. But I'm going to change one word in this hymn. And that's the last stanza when it says, When we've been there 10,000 years, I'm going to ask you, that's a short time in heaven. I'm going to ask you to sing, When we've been there 10,000 trillion years. Let's stand together and let's sing Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound.
you standing, let's receive the benediction, the blessing of God. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling, to present you faultless before his throne. To him be all glory and dominion forever. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh, thank you, sir. Hey, baby. Thank you. Thank you. You're sweet to say. Thank you.